0: Hello, my name's George Eldridge, and like you, I'm stuck in isolation because of the coronavirus. Unlike you, I accidentally went into isolation with my parents, who were both completely mad and very old. This is my diary. I've called it Stuck. How to Survive Accidental Isolation. Bubba, Phoebe said, picking up the phone. And how is my little isolated munchkin this fine morning? Shitty, I responded, doing my best Eeyore. Oh, shut up. You should be jumping for joy, she chortled, a maddening amount of vim in her voice. Please explain. Huh? Why should I be jumping for joy? I said. Wait, what? Sorry, say again, baby? She seemed not to be able to hear me, which was immensely galling. When one's thoroughly depressed and in the market to be commiserated with, the only thing worse than getting an utterly contented person on the other end of the line is to find that they also have bad signal. I said, baby, sorry, I'm going to... Wait. uh... And she hung up. I miss you, Pheebs. So much, I said to no one. Uh Uh-oh, I thought. Did you just say that after she hung up the phone? But that's the kind of nauseating thing that only ever happens in bad romantic comedies. And even then, it's only the dorky characters that do it. Okay, I thought. It's official. You're not just a loser, you've also lost your mind. I lay there for a minute in the dark, gaping at my phone. It was coming up to ten o'clock and I'd already been awake for an hour, opening, closing and reopening Instagram. But I had no intention of getting up, drawing the curtains and seizing the day. No, I would seize nothing, but instead remain happily entombed in the duvet coffin I'd crafted for myself, scrolling through my friends' inspiring, insightful posts in isolation waiting patiently for the inevitable tears of despair and embarrassment to begin rolling down my cheeks and into my mouth, their saltiness providing me with just enough energy to drag myself out of my cocoon and emerge, begrudgingly, from my room. While psychologists and sociologists believe that smartphones, and the way kids use them, are responsible for the ruination of an entire generation of young men and women, with terrible articles about teenagers escaping the evil embrace of their Huawei only to eat, sleep and shag. The latter of which is all dumb on Snapchat nowadays, anyway. I've always believed a bit of self-flagellation by way of social media is no bad thing. And, like all good millennials, have tried my best to practice it as diligently as I can. But when your phone... ...really, truly, is your only window on the outside world. When the only way you can have a life beyond little lockage is by living almost constantly in the palm of your hand... ...things can get... Well, if I'm being completely honest, things had already gotten a bit dark... Uh fuck! I opened my phone's camera by mistake. It was in selfie mode. Is that... Oh, God's sake! The face staring back at me on the screen was nothing short of chilling. I was desperately pale, and so flattering was the camera angle, I seemed to have grown five chins beneath the one I already knew about. I stared and I stared, imagining all my clever, creative, chiselled friends up and about and being brilliantly productive. I'd woken up to a voice note from Mal. Hey bro, what's going on? How's isolation treating you? I'm having a great time if I'm honest, just been for a run, daily allowance lol. Did 10k round the park, boy! The text had come through at 7, meaning he'd been up and running at 6. A.M. It's all weirdly great being home. Mum and Dad are still in New York. Mal's mum is American, and his dad works for a bank that has offices in New York, so they have an apartment there and a house in London. When I say house, take no notice. It is the size of Hogwarts. FaceTime mum last night. Did a lot of stay safe, okay? You do not need to worry about me. I'll be fine. Pam's here and we're all good. Pam, the family's long-standing housekeeper and Mal's second mum, dotes on him. Also, maybe the best cook of all time. (laughs) I think I said something like, I don't want you travelling unnecessarily, mom." okay? (laughs) Anyway, think they might stay put for a bit. Free house, woohoo! What's new with you, man? Wish you could come up and isolate here, dude. Would be so much fun. Aww. Thanks, bro. I thought... Would have loved to, that is, if you hadn't left me to fend for myself 1,000 miles away from civilization, in a cottage, with no heated toilet seats, no TVs in every room, no Sonos, no boiling water tap, you know, the ones posh people have that mean you don't have to wait for the kettle to boil. No perfect Wi-Fi. No real Wi-Fi at all for that matter. No Pam. No you. No nothing. Anyway man I'm sure you're having a really lovely time down there. Must be so great to be in the fresh air and stuff. Let's house party later or something. Yeah? Think I'm gonna go finish my painting now. Been getting really into it in isolation actually. I'm Well, I'm going to be Picasso when this shit is over. (laughs) And what? And painting? I thought. Come on. I kept the camera open. Kept staring. Couldn't stop. I could have turned the phone off, but I didn't. Perhaps I felt like I needed to atone for being such an utter sad sack, for allowing my life to fall apart so catastrophically in such a short space of time. I noticed something round and muddy coloured sitting above my top lip. At first I thought it was a crumb. Oh, no, I thought remembering the two chocolate eclairs that in the absence of a girlfriend or my laptop, or any self-respect for that matter, I had lovingly taken to bed with me and inhaled just before going to sleep. You're becoming that guy. The fat, cosy, lonely guy who lives at home with his mum and dad and comfort eats chocolate eclairs in his pyjamas. I felt like crying. I quickly stuck out my tongue and curled it upwards, trying to reach the crumb, to eat it, flick it, I don't know. I strained and stretched, little by little, edging closer to the offending morsel. I had begun to notice that normal, everyday tasks, like licking one's lips, were transformed into feats of Herculean proportion when in captivity. Which naturally made achieving them just that little bit more satisfying. Got you! Yes! I exclaimed, reaching the muddy brown thing. As impossible as it may seem, the ringing silence that followed was even louder than my humiliating outburst. It wasn't an eclair anyway. It was a tiny clump of facial hair I'd neglected to shave off the day before. You got there in the end, mate, I said to myself, with a grossly inappropriate amount of pride and satisfaction. You can't lie in forever, Georgie! I twizzled the spiky little follicles with my tongue, trying very hard to ignore the nagging voice in my head. Tick-tock! 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 A new Dale Waits! It's a funny thing, but for as long as I can remember, the sound of my conscience has always taken on a sort of, Hey, man, take it easy, my brother. It's all good in the hood with you, Georgie. You lie the fuck in, homie, and get up when you want. Ain't nothing to do. I ain't nothing to worry your pretty little head with. Type voice. But now, six days into the previously intended six hour sojourn at Willow Tree Cottage, its mode of expression had begun to sound suspiciously like my mum's. Copy, dear, Georgie. Carpe diem! Less prevarication, more motivation! Open your ears and hear the daffodils sing! It's not like I hadn't tried. On the contrary, i tried to make good my escape from little lockage as soon as old Bojo had finished his speech, called it quits with corona and plunged the whole country into lockdown. Indeed, it was his immortal line. And I know that as they have in the past, the people in this country will rise to the challenge. That gave me the inspiration I needed to hightail it in the first place. Gosh, darling, what are you doing? Mum said as I jumped out of my chair, causing it to fall back onto the floor with a bang. Boris had just put the phone down on the nation and the situation was becoming extremely desperate fast. When I stood up, I felt giddy, almost like I was going to be sick. The whole thing was stranger than fiction. I'd been caught up in the middle of a global pandemic without noticing, and was now staring down the barrel of a week spent alone in the countryside with my mother and father. Yes, dear reader, I did say a week. One. Gosh, don't those hopeful spring days of giggling haughtily at the coronavirus, saying it was just another flu, and we'll be back to work by Easter, you'll see, seem like a lifetime ago. Unless, of course, you're Donald Trump, who still believes Joe Biden made the whole thing up to throw him off the campaign trail. It was as if I'd gone to sleep. And woken up to find myself playing the part of Brad. You know, the dorky hero in a terrible production of the Rocky Horror Show. With my dad playing Dr. Frankenfurter. The Tim Curry part. The transvestite. Only, the play wasn't a play at all. It was real life, and my car hadn't broken down. I didn't need a phone call. All I wanted was some lunch. Be careful what you wish for. Shit, is that the time? I said, feigning surprise as I sprinted out the room. LANGWIDGE! Mum shrieked. George William Eldridge, you are not a stampeding elephant! Feeling thoroughly bloated and about a stone heavier after lunch, I resented my mother's comparison a great deal, but there wasn't any time to argue. England was shutting down, the shops were closing, the cinemas, the theatres, bars, clubs, pubs, they were all going dark. Flights were being grounded, everyone hoarding bog roll, bags of flour going for £6,000 a pop on eBay. And if I didn't know any better, the railways, specifically the lines serving the West Country, would be next on the chopping board. John, Jonathan, would you come here please? She beckoned my father, following me out into the hallway. Must I? Dad replied, aggrieved, much happier in the soapy sanctuary of his dishes. Support, Jonathan! Oh, all right, all right, he said, abandoning the suds and trailing after Mum into the hall. G.W.E., I repeat, Mum said standing there with her hands on her hips. What in heaven's name are you up to? There was a beat. A good few seconds of silence, in which they just looked at me, and I back at them. I was on my tiptoes, having managed to stuff both feet into my trainers with one arm in my coat and the other in the air, doing my best impression of Michael Jackson crossed with a teapot. What's with all the hurry, darling? You'll give yourself the most dreadful indigestion. Train, I said, trepidatious, like a startled alley cat faced with a pair of fast approaching headlights. I'm... I'll miss my train. Well, if you want me to be perfectly honest, George, I don't think you should be Oh no, Georgie. Dad interrupted Mum. Might have to change, but the head sniffer runs back and forth the Bristol all E John Athon Mum interrupted Dad. You are missing the point. The Prime Minister has told us all to stay put. I tried to get a word in edgeways. Yes, but to stay at home and go. Mum, I live in Bristol. Your home is here, darling. What about my stuff? Clothes, all my... This is... Mum, I'm going back to uni. You know what he means, Annie. Dad chimed in. I am trying to save our son's life, John. For God's sake, I shouted dropping my bag, Annie, but if you'd prefer to send him out there like a lamb to the slaughter, to have him return to the squalor of his bedsit, I do not live in a bedsit, I snapped, with nothing and no one, not even a tin of baked beans. What have I said, George, what have I said about all this eating out all the time? Well, you're not laughing now. All that grub-hubbing and deliver Well, where's that kangaroo now, George? <gasps> where's that kangaroo now? <sighs> she paused for breath. A maniacal look in her eye. Annie, I... Dad grumbled. Well, well, I, th- I think you might have deviated a little from the... Your head be it, John Eldridge. And she turned on her heel and went back into the kitchen. Georgie. Dad sighed, a grave look on his face. You ought probably to listen to your mother. She's usually... Well, she's right. He'd played the guilt trip card. It was a stalemate. Like petrol through a rocket, a sense of deep injustice coursed hot through my veins. Ever since I can remember, I've always hated being told what to do. Wayward boy that I was, my parents would often tell me not to climb the many insurmountable walls and gigantic trees and old dilapidated barns that surround our house. Walls and trees and barns so huge that had I fallen down from them, I would unquestionably not have lived to tell the tale. Nonetheless, even after my parents had explained this to me and even after I had come to fully accept and appreciate the potentially perilous consequences of my upwardly mobile pursuits, there still remained this nagging feeling in my belly, one that made me think they were wrong, or rather that it was wrong. That they shouldn't be allowed to tell me what to do, even if they were trying to prevent me from dying. I'd say, you're not the boss of me, or you just want to control me, or you don't love me, or I hate you, or the last time I checked it was a free country. You know. The sorts of things only eight-year-olds and Americans who habitually cite the Second Amendment think sound good when it comes out of your mouth. Whatever, Dad! Leave me alone! I shouted, storming off and up to my bedroom. Now, aged 22, it seemed things hadn't changed. As it turned out, the trains had stopped running already, and so, without my own car, or a parent willing to give me the keys to one, I was stuck. Won't be forever, I thought to myself. I'll find a way to get back to Bristol tomorrow or the next day, pick up my stuff and go isolate with Thebes, I thought, as I sulked on my bed that night. Yeah. Go stay with Phoebe. That's what I'll do. It's all going to be fine. And with that, I fell asleep. Alas, it wasn't to be. It had been a week, and I was still in Somerset, lying in bed, staring at myself on my phone, picking my nose and mourning the death of my jawline. Bubba! Fuck! I had accidentally answered a FaceTime call from Phoebe. Mid-pick. George? You there? It was such a surprise, and I was so terrified of her seeing me in my current sorry state that as soon as she popped up, I plunged the phone under the covers. She continued muffled. I wiped my face vigorously on the sleeve of my pyjama top, to be absolutely sure there was no remaining evidence of my midnight snack, and, composing myself, withdrew Phoebe from the murky depths of my duvet. Monkey, I said, trying my very hardest to seem unruffled. What was that? She asked. What? I responded coolly whilst the voice in my head went, Think of something. Think of something, you dick. Quickly! Did you drop your phone? What? No. Oh, you mean... No, silly. Just wanted to imagine you were here in bed with me for a sec. (laughs) That's all. Is that the best you can do? I thought. Jesus. You're a freak, uh, she said, in the voice we do with each other when we want to tell each other what we actually think of one another, but are also scared that if we say it in our own normal voices, it may hurt the other's feelings, and so, instead, we affect this I'm going to talk really cute so that you think that I'm being really sweet. But actually, this is what I genuinely think of you. You're really fucking weird. Person. Funny. Baby voice. I miss you. She said. Because... Both of us are very well aware that when one of us uses this baby voice we're trying to mask an abusive remark, it is traditionally followed by something sweet and romantic, spoken in our own received pronunciation. Miss you too, I said. Sorry about earlier. Signal's crap down here, said Phoebe. Her bedroom is in the basement of her family home. She lives in London, Chiswick, behind the Fuller's Brewery. Although it's a beautiful house, it is its situation, a quiet, cobbled street on the banks of the River Thames, that makes it completely perfect. Dreamlike. It was in this house that I fell in love with her, six months ago, a month or so after we had started going out. I'd been awake for hours, in that way you always are when you stay at your girlfriend's house, specifically your girlfriend's parents' house, for the very first time. Everyone agrees there's only so long a self-respecting boyfriend can pretend to be asleep for. It gets demeaning after a while. So, finally, I got up and out of bed as quietly as I could and crept to the loo to do a wee and get rid of my offensively bad morning breath. I've always wondered when that stops being a thing for a couple. Morning breath. I mean, maybe no one cares. Maybe it's just me. But I'm still embarrassed by it now. The other thing's pooing. I mean, what's that all about? Pooing in front of your girlfriend? What is it people say? Keep the mystery alive and the romance will look after itself? Sidetracked. Sorry. When I came back in... The sun was up a little bit more and was trying its best to get into the sunken room through the gratings on the outside of the window. I remember looking back at Phoebe to see whether she'd woken up. She was still asleep, but the way the sunlight dappled on her face through the gratings was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Seriously, I mean it. I mean, it may sound faintly ridiculous and possibly even unlikely for a guy my age, I was 21 then, to feel something like that. And you might not believe me when I say it, but it's true. Looking at Phoebe lying there on her side, with the soft, cold cotton sheet silhouetting her body, her lily-white cheek freckled with sunlight, Her fair hair ablaze, almost indiscernible from the pillow, was as close as I've ever got to what I think people call an out-of-body experience. It was mad. For the first time in my life, I loved someone that wasn't my mum or my dad. This was nothing like the type of affection I held for my parents. It was closer to a kind of worship. I loved her. Phoebe Dance, who, a month before, I didn't even know existed. I'm not saying I feel it all the time. In fact, I don't think I've felt it since. At least, not in exactly the same way. But in that moment, in that house, in London, on the Thames, with the sun and the sheets and the wonderful, musty smell of leather-bound books, and her body and her hair, And the day, the whole day, ahead of us to go and sit in parks and drink in pubs and be together, she and I, together in the exhilarating city. In that moment, I felt, for the first time, what it was like to be a proper human being. Like I was finally playing the part I'd been rehearsing for all my life but that had always been slightly out of reach. The part of the adult male, staring at the adult female, utterly in love with her. Don't worry about the signal, I said. I just really wish I was there. Oh, don't. I'm sorry, baby, I tried, I just... No, I know, I... No, I'm not saying it like that. I just, like, I do. I I wish I was with you in London. I reassured her. Well, my mum's a bitch and she should have just let you come, she said, putting on this kind of spoiled brat pout, which was immeasurably cute. Don't. It makes me miss you even more. Really? She said, sultry. Really? I replied. Really, really? She said again. I knew what she was getting at and not having seen her in over a week, I was eager to play along. I miss you more than anything in the world. I said putting on a husky voice to try and sound more sexy. Really? She said, like she was surprised to hear it. Tell me, Georgie, what would you do if you were lying here next to me? Jesus Christ! I thought, Beyond excited by the provocative conversation we were having, the possibility of where it might lead. Thank you, God, for smiling on me. Well, I began. First, I would... George! George! Wake up at once! Suddenly, my mother burst through the door. You'll never believe what's happened! She continued, throwing open the curtains daylight filled the room. I was naked. Phoebe was naked. This was a nightmare. Everything was a nightmare. I was living in a nightmare. Fuck off, mum! I cried, dragging the covers back over my body as fast as I could and plunging the phone under my pillow. George, no swearing. Come on now, what have I said? She carried on gaily, not a care in the world, going so far as to put a cup of tea down on my bedside table, as if there was nothing whatsoever peculiar about the despicable nature of her intrusion. Out! Out! Get out of my room now! Excuse me, young man! I will not be abused in this blood-curdling fashion in my own house, and when all I have done is bring you a cup of- Get the fuck out! Get the fuck out of my room! I just carried on wailing, praying her old ears would give out before she could say another word and that she would just have to leave. I heard someone call my name, but it wasn't my mum, and the voice was muffled. Shit! I thought. Phoebe's still under the pillow, double shit! I am so sorry, (laughs) I said, as nonchalantly as I could. I'll... I'll call you back and I hung up damage control I thought although of course she couldn't have been thinking anything other than am I going out with a psychopath and more to the point if that was his mum if that's the gene pool am I really gonna have kids with this guy oh gosh Darling, my mum said, a little nervy. Were you, was that? Phoebe. FaceTime. Yup, I said, without looking at her. I was sitting up in bed now, the covers between my legs staring straight ahead out of my window in complete and utter horror. And... would... you... Well... I... D- did... you... She was mumbling indecipherably now. This was not, you understand, because she was worried that her actions might have upset me, but rather that it was slowly dawning on her that Phoebe might have heard the whole thing. Me telling Mum to get out. Mum... Getting cross with me. And if there's one thing that Mum hates more than swearing, it's losing her rag in front of perfect strangers. Whether they're on FaceTime or not. I see, she remarked. And then she turned to look out of the window and was silent. After what seemed like 700,000 years of unbearable tension, my mum turned back to face me and said, beaming from ear to ear and without a shred of diffidence, Well, darling, I just thought you might like to know that Boris Johnson has coronavirus and Matt Hancock, the health secretary. And then, Leaving the room, Do drink your tea, won't you? Before it gets cold. Hey, my dude. My dude there, Robert Downey Jr. The old voice of my conscience seemed to have decided to return from its unsanctioned and highly inconvenient leave of absence. Sup, Van Wilder, Chuck Norris, Jack Black, what's new, my dude? How you, Hugh Hefner? The voice seemed a little overexcited. Listen, bro, I ain't here to get you worked up, man, you dig? I ain't working deals. Don't let your boots blister brand and flowers, but bro, what is up, man? I don't understand. What's up with what? I said, talking to the voice in my head, now having gone completely mad. What I mean is what is up with her, man, is what I mean is. Was it possible for imaginary friends to get drunk? Look, I don't care if she's your wife, your sister, your grandma, she ain't got no chill, man. Oh... You mean my mum, I replied, despondent. Look, man, it's me, your friend. You're chilled out, laid back, voice of reason, and all I'm saying is you gotta do something about her, man. Something's gotta give. Yeah, yeah, I know, you're right. I said to the imaginary surfer dude in my head, I'll... Talk to her, I just, I, I don't know, I just, I want to wake up first. Hey, 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 whoa there, my brother. Hold steady, Napoleon Dynamite. Easy on the theorem, Pythagoras. Suddenly, the voice had a grave foreboding quality to it. This ain't the time for talk. This is the time for action. You need to deal with this shit now, brother. You gotta get out, man. You can't live like this, cuz. You have to nip it in the proverbial bud now, hombre. Seize the day and smell the daffodils, George. Are you kidding me? You as well with the sodding daffodils. Why can't you all just leave me alone? I screamed aloud, talking to myself drinking tea in the nude. It was time to get up. Needless to say, breakfast was a relatively quiet affair. Normally I'd be an easy target, good conversational prey for my parents to snack on, insatiable as their appetites are in this area. Even a seemingly innocent "'Morning, guys,' can set off an avalanche of "'How did you sleeps?' and "'Have you hurts?' and "'Well, I never's,' and "'You won't believe's!' "'But this morning I resolved to give them nothing. "'I say, hello, Mr. Duck,' said Dad, suddenly, "'as he sat, having his breakfast by the front window, "'which looks out onto the garden and the stream beyond.' He often does this, as if he's watching TV. Nothing seems to make him happier than settling down in his chair by the window with a cup of tea to contemplate all the busy creatures that to and fro endlessly on the wild superhighway that is our front garden. He's being very busy indeed today. I I think he must be feeding Mrs. Duck, you see. Seems to be going back and forth, back and forth to the other side of the river his favourite patch of watercress up there on the bank, I should think. And then back he'll come, garb full of green, bringing it to the missus. She's on her eggs, you see. All this, he said, without stopping, or turning around, or pausing for breath. So utterly fixated was he by life outside the window. I was glad of course, to see that it made him so happy, but to me there was also something quite melancholy about the scene. The way he sat there, just looking endlessly, reminded me of those old images you often see in documentaries about the two world wars, of mothers and wives waiting for their sons and husbands to return home safely. It was as if, like them, he too was waiting for something to return. A simpler time, maybe, or a simpler existence. Just like the one the animals enjoyed. Just outside the window. One of action and adventure. Of following the call of the wild. It suddenly struck me that what Dad really wanted was not to watch Mr. and Mrs. Duck go about their day on the river, but rather to be out there with them, swimming and fishing and larking about in the sunshine without a care in the world, just like he did when he was younger. As strange as it sounds, it seemed to me that, in the animals, he was seeing himself as he wished to be. He was seeing his spirit, a younger, freer, more blithe spirit, frolicking merrily in the great outdoors, unencumbered by the unwelcome nuisances of age, undistracted by the fast pace of modern life. And for a split second, I felt like through him, through the window, through the ducks, I too could see my dad as a young man once more. I sat for a moment, watching him, watching them, and for the very first time since I'd been home, felt really grateful to be there. Stuck was written, read and produced by Sebastian D'Souza. The cover art was designed by Bannister and it was a One of the Good Guys production.